Today's reading comes to us from Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be deemed to have fallen short of it. For we also received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, since they did not share the faith of those who comprehended it. Now we who have believed enter that rest. As for the others, it is just as God has said, so I swore on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this manner. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, as he says in the passage above, they shall never enter my rest. Since then, it remains for some to enter his rest. And since those who formerly heard the good news did not enter because of their disobedience, God again designated a certain day as today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as it was just stated, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall by following the same pattern of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it pierces even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who was tempted in every way that we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this is God's word. Jesus had it easy, right? Sure, he had to contend with the limitations of human nature during his days on earth, but because he was God, he didn't have to worry about being hardened by sin's deceitfulness, like verse 13 talks about. He knew what a liar Satan is, and how sin offers us pleasures that it cannot ultimately deliver, at least not for long. So it must have been easy for him to live the faithful life that chapter 3 talked about, right? At least it was easier for him than it was for us, it seems. So the statement here in chapter 4, verse 15, that our high priest has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin, feels a bit hollow, yes? Well, think about it this way. Imagine you are running a marathon, 26.2 miles. Some people drop out after a mile, some after five miles. Some quit 10 miles in, and so on. You've done some training, and you're in the best shape of your life. But from mile 10 onward, your legs are just screaming at you, Stop it! You have the ability to quit at any time, 
you can drop out of the race anywhere. So who feels punishment of running the most? The person who completes the entire race or the one who drops out after a mile? Who feels the discomfort of high winds the most? The runner who quits at mile five or the one who finishes the race? What about the hot sun? Who gets burned the most? The runner who quits after the finish line or the one who quits at mile 15? Whose foot blisters hurt the most? Who suffers the most from the internal arguments that your brain engages in while you're running to try to get you to quit? All of these problems are felt most acutely by the runner who completes the race. Whether he or she is in better shape than you or not, the toll of the race is felt most fully by persons who complete it. Similarly, when I was in seminary, my systematic theology professor said that only the one who withstands temptation completely knows the full force of it. If you give in to temptation before the temptation goes away, you haven't experienced the full intensity of it. So Jesus, the one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin, as verse 15 says, is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, as verse 15 also says. And he can do it fully because he successfully endured every scheme the devil had to throw at him. Sure, Jesus had a perfect nature, but so did Adam, and Adam quit after the first half mile. Jesus, however, endured every temptation obediently. He finished the race, so he felt the difficulty of it more than anyone else who has ever lived, because the rest of us have all given in at some point. Because Jesus completed the race and withstood every temptation, the author of Hebrews urges us, to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need, according to verse 16. Jesus can help you and me because he endured temptation victoriously. You may be tempted to throw your faith away, as verse 14 describes it, at some point in your life. In fact, you probably will be tempted to do that somewhere along the way. But the best thing you can do when you feel tempted to sin in any way is to look to Jesus in prayer. Many of our failures to live a holy life by resisting temptation are due to relying completely on ourselves and our own willpower instead of coming to Christ for the mercy and grace he offers. So go to him in prayer when your faith is weak and your desire to sin is strong. He's finished the marathon he knows what it is like, and he will help you if you ask him for it. May the Lord use this in your heart and your life to help you persevere in following Jesus. And we'll see you next time.